HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin cheesemakers produce over 600 varieties, types, and styles of cheese. That's twice as much as any other state. Learn more about Wisconsin's cheesemaking history at wisconsincheese.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're telling the stories behind iconic dishes. We learn what it will take to save New York's most famous egg cream, discover the importance of the goat neck in the East Village, and take a trip to India for delicious flatbreads. Our customers who come in to get egg creams and t-shirts, they love to talk about their childhood or their teenage years or their college years. I was living in uh, Nepal in northern India. And out there, there's a real famous dish, a classic dish, I should say. It's called paya. Parathe wali gali, or as it awkwardly translates in English, the lane of the stuffed flatbread makers, is probably one of the most popular food streets in Old Delhi. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Elena Santigate. In our last show of the summer season, I had Stephanie Ciano of World's Best Cheese on to discuss the proposed, the then-proposed tariffs on cheese and other specialty food imported into the U.S. from the European Union. If you didn't catch that episode, it all comes down to a 15 or so year dispute centered around European Union subsidies for Airbus. The World Trade Organization granted the U.S. permission to tax European goods as a way to recoup some of the losses the American plane maker Boeing sustained as a result. As summer came to an end, we were looking at potential 100% tariffs on cheese from the EU. There was a bit more debate throughout September, and on October 18th, the final tariff details went into effect. Instead of a 100% tariff on all imported cheeses from the EU, cheese will be hit with a 25% tariff. And not all cheese from the European Union is on the extensive and detailed list. For example, most French cheeses will not be taxed. However, Italian cheeses will. Here with me in the studio is to, to talk more about the finalized tariffs is Daniel Schneider, Director of Imports and Licensing at Emmy Roth Cheese. 
At Emmy, Daniel handles anything related to purchasing, planning, customs, the FDA, and the USDA. He is also the first vice president of the Cheese Importers Association of America. Originally from Switzerland, Daniel is currently based in New York City. Daniel, welcome to Cutting the Curd. Thank you very much, and uh, very glad to be here, Lena. Great. I'm so happy to have a guest in studio. You know, we have a lot of call-ins, so this is very exciting for me. And this is a perfect setting. I love to be in Brooklyn. <laughs> yes, and, uh, it's the best. Can't wait to actually taste the uh, pizza here <laughs> afterwards. Ah, at Roberta's. <laughs> With lots of imported cheese, I hope. <laughs> Always. So, as a bit of a disclaimer, I want to first mention that at Emmy Roth, you're focused on importing Swiss cheeses. Correct. And making Swiss-style cheeses here in the U.S., too, in Wisconsin. Correct. Swiss cheeses are not included in this whole current tariff de- debacle, though, as Switzerland isn't part of the European Union. Do I have that right? That is absolutely correct, yep. Okay. And I appreciate the disclaimer ahead of the conversation we're <laughs> going to have. Yes. Well, and that said, I imagine in your role with the Cheese Importers Association of America that you're representing many businesses that are directly going to be impacted by these tariffs and already have been. Absolutely. You correctly stated. Mm-hmm. Uh, October 18th was the date. Mm-hmm. The uh, USTR, the United States uh, Trade Representatives, uh, implemented the various cheeses from various countries mm-hmm. and did not offer any reprieve in regards to the starting date. Mm. So as of October 18th, all these listed cheeses were indeed being taxed by 25% additional tariffs. Right. And absolutely within the Cheese Importers Association of America, uh, the organization was founded in 1945. Mm-hmm. It's all about importing cheeses mainly mm-hmm. out of Europe. Right. There's other exporting countries such as Latin America or Australia, um, but the focus clearly, the bigger volume comes out of Europe. Mm. So there's a lot of companies in the United States, uh, specifically on the on the East Coast when it comes to importing, logistics, mm-hmm. warehousing, right. that uh, are absolutely being affected now. Right. So um, question for you, do you, so the Cheese Importers Association of America did write a letter when mm-hmm. everything was, um, it, well, it was actually testimony, I believe, that was then printed, right? There were a couple of uh, efforts we did, yes. So the first one was uh, uh, an open uh, comment period mm-hmm. by the USTR, mm-hmm. allowed anyone and everyone to either in writing present uh, their position or physically go down to Washington, D.C., mm. have a five-minute time slot to make your individual case. Right. So the Cheese Importers Association if I may quickly explain what exactly we are. Yeah, that would be great. Um, It's an association, and it's the majority of cheese importers that are participants. Hmm. And the main focus of the association is exactly situations like this, so that we have one voice rather than having 25 or 30 importers individually Mm -hmm. having to go to Washington, Mm D.C., we can go in as an association. We have legal representation, Mm -hmm. and through that legal representation, we did indeed go in person to the hearings. Mm -hmm. We also did obviously write to the USTR uh, our position, and we also went to Washington, D.C., to talk to some of the uh, uh, congressmen, Mm -hmm. some of the House of uh, Representatives, to make our case right. and uh, were successful in a sense of uh, talking uh, to the uh, New Jersey representation, mm. Senator Menendez and uh, Booker, to write a letter again to the USTR on our behalf uh, in regards to the 
yeah, the impact, not just for a cheese importer per se, right. but the entire value chain or supply chain from warehousing to logistics. Right. And uh, New Jersey has sort of a unique stake there just because there's such a population of warehousing and logistics mm-hmm. companies based right in New Jersey, right? Absolutely correct. Uh, in addition, uh, there's companies who import cheese and then further convert that cheese. Mm. Uh, what I mean by that, you would import a large wheel of Parmigiano-Reggiano right. and either grate that wheel mm. or make uh, exact way portions. All that is done in the state of New Jersey mm-hmm. with American employees mm. uh, paying taxes, you know, going to the supermarkets, buy products again. So there's a much bigger impact than just the cheese importers as a company per se. Right. So um, during that public comment period, I know that a lot of cheese industry people, distributors, but also retailers were sending out messages to the cheese loving community of, you know, um, make a comment, write in and say why this will affect you as a consumer or your business. Did you feel that, did you get a sense of whether or not the public comments uh, were part of the equation? Yeah, that's one of the key questions, right? Right. Uh, uh, be this the individual companies who obviously commented on it, as well as retailers, as mm-hmm. well as the association. Uh, what value really had right. all those comments? Right. If you're looking at the result, not much, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, on the other hand, you can say the potential was, as you stated in the beginning, it could have been 100% additional tariffs. Mm -hmm. It ended up at this moment with 25. Mm -hmm. It didn't uh, get to all cheeses. Again, you perfectly explained, uh, you know, uh, Mm. France uh, did not get really hit with any cheeses. Uh, Interesting. So uh, it is a fairly good question. I don't know if I have an immediate straight answer. Yeah. Uh, We would like to believe that our comments had some impact. Yeah, yeah. uh, To the point of, yeah, 100% versus 25. Yeah, something did. Something moved that dial. uh, Because it's, it's, when you talk about importers, it's... uh, the importing community has one, but it does affect retailers. Mm-hmm. It does affect people working at the retailer. Right. All of a sudden, your imported cheese becomes 25% more expensive. You right. may not need as many employees as you previously needed mm-hmm. to, to, to handle that uh, imported side of things. Not to mention the huge pain in the butt that is reprinting all of your cheese signs and reprogramming your <laughs> pricing in your POS. I have to say, my mind went directly there when I thought about the when I heard about the final uh, judgment here. So even a task like that is actually a monumental thing for a retailer to do this time of year, especially. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate uh, uh, that side of things, and and you said it as well especially this time of the year obviously mm-hmm. we're heading into the busiest right. uh, selling period for all of us mm-hmm. and having that additional uh, challenge uh, makes it that much more difficult for not just again the importer which yes it's a, it's a sizable challenge mm-hmm. but for the retailer as well mm. what are the importers going to do how can i as a retailer you know move that price increase potentially to my consumer Right. So what are you hearing from your members now that the final, you know, the tariffs were announced? It's no longer speculation. It's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, It's 25 percent, which is a lot lower than what it could have been. Are you hearing from people that they are still taking extra measures to did people get orders in ahead of time, basically, for harder age cheeses? How are people talking about it? 
That's an interesting question, and it obviously depends on who am I talking with. Mm -hmm. Am I talking with somebody who imports cheeses from France? Right, no problem there. They're like, exactly, quite (laughs) pleased. Right. Uh, Perhaps that's not the right word, but uh, uh, they obviously don't have the same challenges as somebody who uh, imports a Parmigiano-Reggiano. Right. And if I'd like to stay on the Italian side, as you alluded to, Mm -hmm. if I'm importing a Grana Padano, Parmigiano-Reggiano, I could have bought in additional inventory. Mm-hmm. It's obviously these cheeses are extra long aged and you can keep it uh, a little bit longer as well mm-hmm. versus a gorgonzola cheese from Italy that right. you just can't do that. Yeah. So people really have done that, yes. People have bought in. Mm-hmm. Um, some people have also uh, uh, imported the cheese but have not yet customs cleared it. Mm. They're keeping it in bond. Right. Waiting uh, that potentially these uh, additional tariffs are going to be gone away. Hmm. Oh, and so sort of trying to wait it out. Wait it out so you can... Short. Exactly. So you can import the cheese mm-hmm. and you don't have to customs clear it yet. So you don't, at that time, pay the additional duty. I guess at that point, you're paying for the warehousing space, yep. which would be less probably than that duty. Right. But all it does still, no matter what you do, it increases your cost. Hmm. Yeah. If I'm buying ahead of the tariff right. implementation, mm-hmm. I have capital that now I can't use elsewhere. I right. can't potentially invest in new machinery, new ideas, marketing efforts, what have you. Right. And those oh, dollars have to come from some line. They got to come somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm being limited perhaps in, in, in supporting uh, a retailer or a brand or, or people. Mm. And yes, if I don't customs clear it, I got to pay storage mm-hmm. at a location as well. So either way, you're increasing uh, uh, your cost of doing business. Right. So um, speaking of clearing it and sort of trying to time this, I know that the Specialty Food Association wrote a letter asking uh, for sort of not an amendment. What's the word? It was an accommodation, I believe, where they were asking that cheeses imported before, I think it was October 2nd, mm-hmm. be exempt from the tariffs. So how, where does that stand? Do you know what the deal is there? Yes, and we, we tried the same uh, logic to say, okay, we understand the decision. Right. There's obviously nothing that we could have done differently anymore. Mm-hmm. But we wanted to ask uh, the USTR to have any order that's already on the water, like a bill of lading would right. be attached to an order, that these shipments would still be allowed, even though they would arrive later than the 18th of October, but right. still would be allowed... Uh, to get imported without the additional tariff. Right. And interestingly enough, throughout the process over the last couple of months, mm-hmm. the USTR specifically on this particular topic did not entertain any meetings of any kind. Hmm. We have tried numerous occasions. We were down in Washington, D.C. and simply uh, were given the word that uh, we appreciate your interest at this time. We will not take any Wow. Uh, uh, meetings and therefore it was so, through writing yeah. we got confirmed as everybody else did mm-hmm. anything getting imported on the 18th is subject to the tariff wow. no questions asked wow why do you think that is i would like to answer slightly differently perhaps okay. as to the why yeah. i don't know yeah i really don't know um, one of the answers given was Uh, to the entire importing industry, really, Mm -hmm. that this has been on the radar for at least six, seven months. Mm -hmm. And they were asking, or, yeah, they were asking the importing uh, community to plan accordingly. Mm. 
which is an interesting proposition, with right? A if you perishable product, exactly, it just is nuts. exactly. If I'm talking about uh, airline parts, right? Yes, no I can problem. buy a couple of more screws, right, <laughs> to keep on hand. Right. However, with a soft ripened cheese, again, mm-hmm. I'm using the Italian example because Gorgonzola is on the additional tariff list. Mm-hmm. You simply cannot, right? So, right. Uh, and hence we. From a cheese importers association, I'm sure uh, the specialty food as well mm-hmm. wanted to get not just clarification. Yeah, we got that, right. but also the opportunity to have a dialogue. Right. We understand the tariff. We understand it to some degree, mm-hmm. but we'd like to have a dialogue with you to uh, uh, to look at these shipments that have left hmm. uh, uh, Europe. Right. Well, the dialogue sounds like it was mostly one way, one sided. So far, yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. So it's interesting. I mean, politics is so tricky, right? And yep. um, and delicate and nuanced. I actually, this is a complete tangent, but I was just reading a great novel called The Goblin Emperor, which has nothing to do with cheese. And I actually think no cheese is consumed during the whole book. But the whole book is about politics mm-hmm. and the nuance of like, court you know being at high court and kind of appeasing everybody great novel i'll just plug it okay appreciate it totally (laughs) random aside listeners for any readers out there take a cheese break and do a little reading um but you know it's sometimes it just really isn't obvious what the motivations are it's it can get so complicated and so layered that to me i'm like scratching my head especially about the letter that the national milk producers federation wrote um, the U.S. National Milk Producers Federation writes this letter in support of these tariffs, which I cannot get my mind around. And so as diplomatically as possible, do you want to help me understand the politics <laughs> there, Daniel? <laughs> now we're getting on very uh, icy ground. Yeah, let's, let's just tiptoe uh, across this of lake. And the very basic answer is it is always interesting on politics and what is exactly the background of certain decisions. Mm -hmm. When I look at the list, I see a certain type of cheese, a certain tariff classification. We're using as an example, Finland is not on that list. Hmm. And then the next section of the same, obviously, uh, 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 notification, different type of cheese, Finland is on the list. Hmm. So you do wonder, right, to your point, who makes these decisions? Why is Finland on one list versus not on the other? Why is Italy versus France? So um, that by itself, uh, to your point, yes, there is no rhyme or reason from Mm -hmm. what I can see. Um, In regards to the letter from the National Milk Producers Association, Mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily surprised uh, that they would obviously be in favor of uh, these tariffs, uh, and is that like big dairy? Is that what we're talking about? That is about absolutely that? big dairy. Okay, and so that's uh, not just big in in size. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we have a huge uh, uh, industry here in the United States compared to a country uh, in Switzerland per se, with right. eight and a half million people as the total population. Less than New York City. Exactly right. <laughs> Way less traffic too on the roads, <laughs> if I may add. Well, better public transportation. <laughs> I'll give you that. That's true too. Thank you, though. <laughs> that's good. Um, but having said that, it's it's in any country like Switzerland or the EU as a as a whole. Right. The uh, the domestic dairy world, as I would call it, always is very near and dear to the mm. political side of things. Mm. There's a lot of uh, uh, 
people. There's a lot of money involved uh, when you talk about the farming and the producing and, and just mm-hmm. the entire agriculture sector. Obviously, it's quite powerful. Uh, and the same thing is here in the United States. Right. So if you have a government of the United States who is now helping you to potentially sell more cheese, mm. exporting-wise, as well as domestically, you can make mm-hmm. that argument as well, mm-hmm. because of the additional tariffs, mm-hmm. less imported cheese perhaps available, more opportunity Could for the it. exactly U.S. production. Although then, it, I mean, it makes sense it being big dairy, because what we're talking about are cheeses that are either very fresh... Or cheeses that aren't aged that long. Because, again, it's like if you make a one-year-old cheese, and you know, a, a long-aging, natural one-year cheddar, you're mm. not going to benefit from increased demand right now because you don't have the cheese, right? Not right now. Right. And I don't, I don't think this is a, a uh, necessarily just a quick fix. Uh, and, again, we can have a very long conversation about mm-hmm. tariffs and the current administration using tariffs as a new mm. bargaining chip or as a new... Yes, it's uh, like the buzzword... Exactly. I mean, China, uh, yeah. a little bit more familiar, perhaps. Right. Uh, we had it with Mexico as well, to some degree. Uh, now it's the EU as mm-hmm. a whole, obviously mm-hmm. being, uh, yeah, being taxed, additionally taxed. Mm-hmm. So um, I do understand the letter uh, being written. I do understand the proposition of of, uh, of uh, protection mm-hmm. of some sorts to uh, to your domestic uh, marketplace. It's almost an opportunity in that sense to just. Correct. To put that flag in the ground in a big way. Correct. And mm. and our argument against it is we believe we can quite nicely live beautifully next to each other. Right. 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 Um, compared to the domestic, and I'm not just talking about cheese, I'm talking about mm-hmm. the entire agriculture or milk, right. as you say, there's no comparison uh, on volume and, mm-hmm. and opportunities. And we just like to believe that with the imported cheeses now, mm-hmm. the... Yeah, there's a demand for it. There is a consumer mm-hmm. who is looking for this particular right. type of cheese. Right, it's so true. And show me, show me like the exact substitutions for some of these old world cheeses. I mean, I I love American made cheeses more mm-hmm. than anyone, but it is sometimes you know tricky to. You can't just say one is the same exact thing. It's not the case with specialty no. food in general. That's the beauty. That's why we love it, right? And that's. To your point, exactly that, right? You have a variety mm-hmm. of options. If you go these days to any supermarket, to any specialty stores, there is fantastic American-made cheese available. Mm-hmm. And there is the old-school, history-based uh, European cheese. Mm-hmm. Beet is now out of Italy. Beet is out of numerous countries. Right. And, uh, yeah, I do believe that it's about variety. Yeah. Well, on that note, it's just about time for a quick break. But before we pause, listeners, I want to put the call out to you on this topic. As cheeses impacted by the tariffs land here in the U.S. this month, we want to know how and where you see the impact. Are you a distributor and taking a slightly smaller margin, a monger, changing all of those European prices on the signs, or an enthusiast noticing an increased cost at your local shop. Let us know how the tariffs are manifesting in your area of the cheese world. You can reach us on social media at Cutting the Curd or at Cutting the Curd at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be back in just a moment with Daniel Schneider. Since the mid-1800s, before Wisconsin was even recognized as a state, its resident cheesemakers have been putting the art 
into artisan cheese. When early settlers from Switzerland, Germany, and Italy came to Wisconsin, they brought their cheesemaking expertise with them. They chose Wisconsin because the terroir reminded them of the homes they'd left behind in Northern Europe. The soil and water of Wisconsin is nurtured by the goodness of glacial sediment, and those elements lend themselves to the very best milk. Today, Wisconsin's cheesemakers draw from their rich European heritage and cheesemaking traditions, and combine them with incredible innovation to produce half of the nation's specialty cheese. Wisconsin cheesemakers never stop experimenting, trying to improve, and dreaming of your next favorite cheese that has yet to be imagined. Learn more about Wisconsin's cheesemaking history at wisconsincheese.com. Join Heritage Radio Network on Monday, November 11th for a raucous feast to toast a decade of food radio. Our 10th anniversary Bacchanal is a rare gathering of your favorite chefs, mixologists, storytellers, thought leaders, and culinary masterminds. We'll salute the inductees of the newly minted HRN Hall of Fame, who embody our mission to further equity, sustainability, and deliciousness. Join us to explore the beautiful Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, where you'll taste and imbibe to your heart's content, and bid on once-in-a-lifetime experiences and tasty gifts for any budget at our silent auction. Join the party. Tickets are available now at heritageradionetwork.org gala. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. I'm Elena Santigade, and I'm here with Daniel Schneider of Emmy Roth and of the Cheese Importers Association of America. So I want to move away from the specifics of the tariffs for a moment and ask you a bit about your experiences in Washington and handling the government agency side of your work. Um, so you mentioned that in your role with Emmy Roth, you handle things that are FDA and USDA related. What does that exactly mean? One of the steps, so the first step actually is uh, U.S. Customs. So any mm-hmm. any item that enters the United States has to be customs cleared through U.S. Customs. Okay. Based on your items, you get a certain tariff number assigned to you, and you pay your duty. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's for literally any item that enters the United States. It's a States. transaction that it's happens. A transaction. No you have to what. present your invoices. You get paid. Uh, sorry, you get um, uh, charged. It'd be nice if you got paid. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That is actually true. That would be a beautiful thing. Um, you get charged based on your uh, uh, customs tariff number, mm-hmm. and it's based on uh, on a value okay. in most cases. Okay. And when you do import a food item, such as cheese that mm-hmm. we do, you then have the Food and Drug Administration involved as well. Mm-hmm. It's uh, part of any time you're serving a food drug uh, item, it gets checked by the FDA as well? Mm-hmm. Are you following all the rules, all the regulations? What I mean by that, and you may have heard the uh, newly implemented Food Safety Modernization Act. Mm-hmm. And um, under that Food Safety Modernization Act, there's numerous sub uh, categories. One of them is the Foreign Supplier Verification Program. Uh-huh. That and sounds like a lot of paperwork. It is exactly that. <laughs> and uh, I do have to say that, though, I like the approach the FDA has taken. What I mean by that is previously the FDA, if they reviewed the paperwork and wanted to see a particular shipment, Mm -hmm. wanted to perhaps look at the cheese, wanted to even taste 
mm-hmm. uh, and test the cheese. They were only doing this at the time the product entered or was actually at the port in the United States. Okay. So it already traveled quite a bit. Right. And the FDA then, up on arrival in the United States, made a certain determination. Okay. Now, under the Foreign Supplier Verification Program, they have moved that liability, per se, mm-hmm. back to the supplier. Hmm. And yes, it is a lot of paperwork. Uh-huh. But what it truly does say is you as an importer are responsible to make sure that your supplier, no matter where that supplier might be, hmm. to follow proper, clean food production, okay. food handling. Okay. And how do they enforce that? Like, do they do supplier visits overseas? Mm-hmm. Do they audit sort of randomly? randomly? How do, what's their process? Yep. It is random. Uh-huh. And they do it twofold. First, they actually do come to the import of record. So Emmy in New York has had the FDA visiting us. Okay. And we had to present all the food safety plans to the FDA. Hmm. And that is being picked based on your customs entry. Okay. As we were importing, they would pick a single entry, a random entry, and say, you as Emmy USA, as the import of record, we would like to visit you. We would like to verify your paperwork. Hmm. So that's where the paperwork part comes into play, as you stated earlier. Right. Also, and we've also had this uh, earlier this summer, that the FDA actually spent three days at our facility in Switzerland to actually verify the supplier, which in our case is Emmy in Switzerland. And they go and literally spend three days inside our conversion facility. Uh How do you handle cheese? Hmm. We're selling a six-ounce Le Gruyere cheese in the United States being converted in Switzerland, they would like to understand exactly where is the cheese coming from, how is it being cut, how do you clean the machinery, because Mm. after the Le Gruyere, we may do an Emmentaler, we may do an Oppenzeller. How do you clean between the cheese, the different types of cheeses? That's so interesting. So just thinking about it happening on the Swiss side, I mean, in Switzerland, Emmy is, I'm sure, also exporting to other countries that are Mm -hmm. not the United States. So does that just become a wild conflagration of requirements or does is the Food Safety Modernization Act much more specific and it kind of covers things that other countries also require? There is there's a lot of overlap. I mean there's obviously food rules in Switzerland. There is the EU mm, who right. has very stringent rules as well. Right. So a lot of what Switzerland uh, does or EMI does in Switzerland is absolutely uh, the same as the FDA is looking for. Mm. So there isn't a much, you know, too much to be done to, uh, to uh, uh, comply with the FDA. Um, so we're well situated in that regard. But okay. yes, there are certain exporting countries. Uh, I can think of the Far East. I can think of Russia, mm-hmm. who then have even more specific requirements. Mm. And that's where our uh, quality team in Switzerland every so often does get challenged, yes. Mm. Very interesting. So how do you stay on top of those details? Do you have like an insider leak in Washington? (laughs) (laughs) I only wish. I only wish. I may would have gotten my USTR meeting, right? Uh, Maybe, I had those links. Yeah. Uh, No, the best resource for me is uh, truly the Cheese Importers Association of America. Mm -hmm. Um, As a a group, uh, have a much bigger voice. Mm. And we also have a... Washington DC representation. Okay. So we do have uh, on-site access to FDA. 
Mm-hmm. We have on-site access to customs. We have on-site access to the USDA. Okay. And we do have access to the USTR as well. We've met with these people before. Mm-hmm. Just in this particular case of the Boeing Airbus, the, they weren't able to... The door was shut. Exactly. Uh, until now. Mm-hmm. So that's where the benefit truly comes into uh, play for me, mm-hmm. where there's a lot of resources throughout the cheese importers. There is other importers who may face the same uh, challenge. Mm-hmm. And again, we can then go meet with FDA, talk about the Food Safety Modernization Act, mm-hmm. talk about very specific terms within. Right. Uh, so through the cheese importers, I do get most of my uh, uh, knowledge and expertise. Yeah, that's great. Have you? How long have you been on the executive board there? Yes. So the cheese importers, we have a board of uh, 27 board members. Mm-hmm. Again, it's most known cheese importers have right. a seat on the board. Right. And then within the board, there is five executive uh, board members. Okay. And once you're on the executive board, uh, you will get to become president. Which uh, I hear is just around the corner for you. That is actually correct. Uh, next May mm-hmm. uh, will be my turn. Wow. And every president uh, gets the honor to serve for two years. Okay. So it's a refreshing of uh, the board it's huh. a refreshing of the executive committee so you know more than two years that's a pretty short term actually it is <laughs> excuse my smiling here <laughs> it's uh it's actually it's a good time uh, mm-hmm. because you already have like eight years prior uh, you're part of the executive committee, committee so right. you're fully and, and quite engaged mm-hmm. and as great as the cheese importers association is mm-hmm. it is a hobby Right, right. Uh, to some degree as well. Obviously, my project. my paycheck is coming <laughs> from Emmy, right. and the cheese importer is uh, uh, very important. Mm-hmm. As I stated, a lot of knowledge, a lot of expertise we're getting through the Washington representation, which then I can obviously right. uh, use at my uh, my day job. But right. two years is a good enough time, mm-hmm. and it also keeps it fresh from a from a people perspective. Yeah. Do you have any specific sort of projects or? Ideas that you're excited to do as president that you, I don't know, that you've, you've, you're cooking up yep. as you look at the future? Yeah, no, there's, there's always that, right? Do you, do you want to continue what, what we started? Uh, we have educational programs. We mm-hmm. do the Washington representation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're always trying to find something new or different just for you. Right. So since I still have about eight, nine months, uh, I want to see how the next couple of months play out, <laughs> yeah. uh, specifically around, and that's obviously a very important topic for us, right. on, uh, on some of those uh, uh, trade discussions. Right. How often are you having trade? You know, this tariff news is is has been huge, obviously, for the industry. And then, you know, back when the I think it was what two thousand and four around then with the Roquefort mm-hmm. um, uh, situation, the the tariffs on Roquefort that went through yep. and lasted for ten years. Correct. Um, how often are you talking about smaller tariff type situations? Yep. Um, one good example, a couple of years ago, the FDA, out of the blue, mm-hmm. came out and stated it is not healthy anymore to age cheese on wood boards. Aha, uh-huh. yes, I remember this. And this is not just an import. Right, uh, this, you know, is exer- this is a cheese making This is a cheese making, exactly, issue. So, obviously, when that came out, all of us were 
again, stop everything. Right. And immediately started to make phone calls and, and we had, you know, emergency meetings. What is our next step? Mm-hmm. So these are some of the topics that do come up fairly quickly. Mm. Um, we also have, uh, when you import cheese to the United States, there's a quota system in place. Mm-hmm. And there is also a uh, topic on, on the license, on on. If you don't use a certain amount of your license, you know, mm. um, you're going to lose it. Interesting. And that's driven by the FDA as well. And okay. that's a topic we've been uh, discussing with the FDA for quite some years. Mm. We would like it to be eliminated. Mm-hmm. Uh, so far, we've just gotten it, you know, to be kicked down the, the street a little bit more. Another five years, another five years. Right. But there's a lot of these smaller topics that uh, the general public may not see. Right. But it takes a lot of time and resources to not just meet with the FDA or, or a USDA per se, mm-hmm. but you have to prepare uh, ahead of time. You right. do have to go down to Washington, D.C. Uh, takes a day or two out of your uh, day yeah. as well. So there's Interesting. definitely some topics that you may not see. Or they're not as big visually in mm-hmm. public as uh, as the Airbus uh, Boeing uh, right. tariff. Yeah. Right. How did you get into this type of work? I mean, were you like always interested in sort of government operational stuff, or how did you how did you land here? How did I land here? Now <laughs> I don't know if we have that much time, but uh, <laughs> the short no. version. Yeah, the short version is uh, uh, as a Swiss citizen, we all like cheese. Yes, um, comes with the territory. exactly. It comes with the territory. I've been in the United States for the last 28, have been with Mm -hmm. Emmy uh, for 13, Mm -hmm. and just enjoy the retail world, the food uh, uh, side of things. Mm -hmm. And as I went through various steps within Emmy as a company, Mm -hmm. uh, had the opportunity to stay close with Switzerland from a whole purchasing planning uh, perspective. Mm -hmm. And as, you know, being involved in the import side, you quite quickly become very familiar with all these rules and regulations. Hmm. Be these existing ones, like the quota system has been in place for centuries, and then very new ones like the Food Safety Modernization Act, Hmm. like this now tariff discussion. Right. Very interesting. And do you have, how big is the team that works under you or with you? Yeah, no, it's with us. It's all mm-hmm. one team. Right. Uh, we are three people okay. at Emmy who, wow. who manage that on a day-to-day business. Wow. Yeah. And are you all based in New York or is there somebody in Monroe and someone in Switzerland? The team here is in New York. Okay. We're not in New York City. I want to be correct there. Mm-hmm. We are in uh, Orangeburg, New York, which is in Rockland County. Okay, just north of hour. the city. Exactly, half an hour north of the city, correct. Yeah. So it's a fairly small team. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, has to do also with just technology. Mm. A lot of improvements were made. Uh, from a company perspective, but also from the government side, uh, all these customs entries and, and license oh, transactions, they are very easily done on uh, online. In terms of you, you can be, sort of be anywhere for them. You could be, absolutely. Yeah, very interesting. And I was, as I was thinking about your role and Emmy and how interesting it is as a company with Emmy Roth, you know, having these like one one leg in Switzerland and one here in the States and Wisconsin, um, how would you describe the culture, at least of your team and of Emmy itself, you know, in your experience working in this sort of pocket of it? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And a lot of people always ask me, specifically back home from Switzerland, mm-hmm. yeah, but the Americans, you know, what do they know about cheese? <laughs> right? So that's the, the, the cliche comment or question that yeah. I hear all the time. And I always have to say that there is tremendous cheese being made in the United States. Mm-hmm be this goat cheese, be this cow milk cheese. Mm-hmm. And 
as you, I'm sure, very well know, just about two or three weeks ago in Italy, mm -hmm. uh, Rogue Creamery became world champion. It's amazing. Uh, out of 3,000 plus entries yeah. from all over the world. It's really so Just to prove amazing. the point that American right. cheese has <laughs> absolutely arrived. Yeah. So it is an interesting proposition for us as a company. Mm -hmm. um, we do, as you correctly stated, uh, heavily import cheese out of Switzerland. Mm -hmm. We're the number one importer of cheese, uh, cheese from Switzerland. Mm -hmm. But we do have two facilities. We make cheese uh, in the United States in, uh, in, uh, in Wisconsin. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I think the, the combination is ideal. <laughs> it's, um, it allows you to, A, have more than just one leg to stand on business-wise, mm -hmm. but you also can mm. go out to your distribution um, uh, community, to your retailer community, right. and really become this uh, uh, resource of not just import cheese or not just of domestic cheese, but mm -hmm. actually become that resource for both. Right. You have a, a really rich list there. Exactly. Yep. Very good. Which Next, then, you just have to figure out how to build a portal from Wisconsin to Switzerland so that we could just easily go back and forth. Yep. I think that's the next phase. I'm sure it will be soon, right? You said that there, you know, the technology is exactly. getting there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Absolutely right. All right. Well, as, as we get to the end of our episode today, I'm thinking about, you know, advice that we can give to our listeners. And one thing that I'm, you know, that I think is interesting in terms of our industry, you know, the artisan cheese industry and the specialty food industry is, is not enormous in the United States. And I think one thing I'm always interested in is what can people, how can people carve out unique niches for themselves? How can people get into work that they didn't expect to be in that sort of stems from a love of cheese? And so my question for you is, what advice would you give someone who is maybe starting off in their cheese career, even maybe just, you know, a cheesemonger at the retail counter, but mm -hmm. is really interested in a longer-term professional career in cheese, how, how would you uh, advise that person if they're, if they're kind of fired up about these, you mm -hmm. know, more governmental uh, tariff side of things? And you started off quite well uh, from a cheesemonger perspective. Any cheesemonger has quite a sizable knowledge for all the different types of cheeses, be mm -hmm. this import, be this, uh, be this domestic cheese. Mm -hmm. And if you really, and I appreciate you clarifying it more on the governmental side and, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, rules and regulation side, uh, if you do work in a cheesemonger setting, mm -hmm. you're working with distribution companies, you're mm -hmm. working with companies such as an Emmy, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. As simple as pick up the phone. Talk, uh, talk yeah. to our, you know, talk to your representatives. Uh, be this on the sales side, maybe initially, right. but start the dialogue. Yeah, Emmy, are you looking for, you know, Help adding to your team? Area. Right, we're right. we're trying to grow. Every company is trying to grow. There's opportunities. Yeah. Uh, we do outreach from a cheese importers association perspective as well. We mm -hmm. go to colleges, for instance. Hmm. Uh, we offer internships every summer. To, to go and experience 10 weeks uh, at a, you know, cheese importer. Yeah. Marketing side, supply chain side. Interesting. Uh, so there is these ways, but for me, mm -hmm. the, the, the real advice is, I mean, learn as much as you can while selling cheese, while preparing cheese. Right. But talk to your, uh, yeah, to your suppliers, use, really. Use the resources that are actually at your Right there for you. Exactly yeah, right. I think it's a great reminder. Yeah, just I think it really is. Never hurts to ask, right? Yes, yes. Yep. Really good point. Okay, final question for you. And this is a cheese question. 
since we've been talking big level cheese on this show, but not super specific. What cheese are you most excited about right now on that lovely list, on that lovely Emmy list? On that lovely Emmy list? Yeah, that your, your okay. list between your importers, your domestic cheeses. You could pick one from each side if you need to. I appreciate that, yes. because otherwise I would have to pick one that's coming hard. out of Switzerland. Ah. Being well, Swiss, you are I would Swiss. have to, exactly, I would have How to pick one from not? Switzerland. How could you not? Exactly. How could I not? So I appreciate the offer on, uh, on both <laughs> sides one, uh, one of, of the, uh, exactly right. <laughs> um, on, the, um, uh, on the domestic side, uh, Wisconsin cheese, we make a fabulous Grand Cru, mm -hmm. which is an Alpine style cheese. Mm -hmm. um, very tasty. Very tasty, different ages um, as well. So it's a different taste profile for uh, anyone really mm -hmm. personally i like the extra aged i like a little bit more of a flavor mm -hmm. uh, to my cheeses right. so i would go with the grand cru okay. on uh, on the wisconsin side okay and on the swiss side one of my most preferred cheeses i would bring it to any party there is yes. is the tetumon oh. with the girol and exactly because you would of that do your yep, girol service i do actually yes i uh, <laughs> don't have to bring any party gifts nope. just bring the girol and bring and a half wheel of uh, tetumon perfect you'll always be invited back. i always be invited exactly yeah, it's, it's just uh, it's it's a unique cheese it's it's made in a specific area of switzerland and it has mm -hmm. a good story mm -hmm. it means monk's head the monks used to make that cheese and as you so perfectly alluded, uh, makes beautiful florets out of the Girol. Yeah. So. Did the monks use the Girol? That's the part of the history that I never could figure out. They made the cheese. The Girol came right. a little bit the, afterwards. The Girol yes. came from some fancier people. I'm sure some marketing uh, experts. <laughs> some genius. Yeah, exactly. was like, why don't we do florets now? And uh, <laughs> Although yeah. there's part of me that really likes to imagine monks using the Girol and eating the florets. <laughs> I'm just going to imagine that. Yep. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me here in the studio today, Daniel. And thank you very much for having me. This was absolutely great and yeah. a lot of fun. It was also just great to hear your updates on this tariff situation. I feel like mm -hmm. we're very well equipped with information. So Good. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. And we'll be back next week with more Cutting the Curd. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.